0: Thank you for downloading this Desenio podcast. For more information, visit DesenioDaily.com. We hope you enjoy the programme. Today's topic, we're going to be looking at education and education in Europe, and particularly in light of international fees. So the question to be discussed is, are overseas fees corrosive to transnational education? Uh, I'm delighted to be joined for this by Alexis Georgikopoulos, the director of ECAL in Lausanne and formerly head of industrial design MA at the school. Uh, Tomasha Frit, who has taught at the Sandberg Institute and Design Academy Eindhoven, and Sebastian Bern, who is the designer and director of the MA in Product and Furniture Design at the Kingston School. So, first of all, obviously we're looking at Europe as a whole, and there's huge diversity between universities and institutes across that. So, funding models vary from country to country institution to institution, but a good general rule is that most institutions receive some form of state funding to run. Um, So an open question to start with, what obligations does this place upon an institute? If you're receiving government funding, ought that to affect your admissions policy and the way you run the course? I mean, Alexis, maybe you're well placed to start here because you have the perspective of ECAL as a whole and can speak institutionally.
1: Where to start from? Uh, I mean, yeah, the ACAL is a state school, first of all, even if we are in Switzerland. <laughs> uh, and then uh, it appears to be, I think, one of the least expensive schools, you know, uh, on an international level, um, which means that we the costs are uh, even less than 2,000 euros per year yeah. on BA or MA. Uh, of course, that means that we get a lot of government funding, as you were saying. Um, and, you know, that just, I mean, even if we don't have, I would, I would say, a very strict policy to, to, to keep up with, in a way. Uh, but, of course, uh, as the budgets are uh, usually voted yearly by, you know, the parliament and so on, we have to be a bit careful on how we spend that money, mm-hmm. uh, first of all. Not just uh, who, what kind of students we take when we do the selection, but also uh, how, you know, the school uh, uses the the public
0: money. Yeah. Maybe worth going into a little bit. You mentioned ECAL's fees. I have them down here. It's 1,925 uh, Swiss francs per year. Uh, like you say, in comparison with a lot of European universities, that's very low. You mentioned you receive... Uh, a lot of government funding to make that possible. Is that only possible in in a country like Switzerland, which you know famously is wealthy? Like, is that model applicable elsewhere? Do you think, or is that quite locked to the country Ecal is based in?
1: No, I don't think. It was, I mean, if you look at Germany or France, I think they're they, you, it's the similar, even I would say cheaper for students. Uh, of course, we just have to put it in perspective, not just how much are the fees? But I would say the quality, uh, you know, the, the, the value for money, I would say, uh, in a way. Uh, because of course, yeah, you can pay nothing but get nothing back. And that's relatively easy. But And you can pay a lot and get a lot back. But uh, I think that we are in the third possibility of paying little and getting a lot, which is not that bad.
2: But, but Alexi how, how strong are your, um, sele- is your selection process? Because actually, I think, in, as far as I know, in France, which is a similar system, mm-hmm. they have um, uh, a very, very uh, uh, tight and highly selective selection process for the state schools. So 800 applicants for typically 50 or 60 places. and it's, it's uh, So that also, I think, comes into it, because you have a certain amount of fully funded places, if you like, and that's it. Whereas the UK, which is a completely different model... Is, uh, uh, you know, is much more accessible and much more open, but for the last 20 years, the government has reduced what they're prepared to contribute to education, mm. and so therefore we have to charge a lot more.
1: We definitely have a selection, which is quite, I think, uh, good, which means that we have an acceptance ratio at about 20% okay. of uh, you know candidates versus people which are accepted, mm. uh, both in BA and MA.
0: Sebastian, maybe you could set out a little bit um, Kingston's policy, particularly around domestic fees and international fees, uh, because it is obviously a very different system to Switzerland, for instance. Maybe you
2: can talk us through that. Essentially, the the government uh, gives none of the government money which goes to the university uh, goes to the course. So the course itself is completely funded by the fees. and uh, that means obviously that uh, the fees need to be higher than elsewhere uh, within that there's a sense um, of needing to preference uh, local students because uh, that's somehow part of the tradition of British universities is that the British uh, students should have some kind of advantage which is why I think the fees are lower in the for, for home students than they are for People coming from further afield but um, that's that's basically the the kind of landscape of it
0: is that a positive policy because in some ways that's very intuitive um, that you might favor students from your home nation but equally design is an immensely international discipline Um, and numerous people have spoken about the benefits of mixing cultures on a course and having students from all around. Everyone's opinion on whether that's a good move to prioritize domestic students.
2: Well, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it it, it should be said that this is a policy across all education, it's not just design. So uh, it's the same for all university places. Uh, So there's no particularity about design. But I think, of course, uh, culturally, my own opinion would be that it's much better to mix things up. There's a great benefit from that. Um, but you know, the, the current British opinion is not towards um, being inclusive, shall we say.
0: <laughs> Tamar, maybe this is something you can come in on a little bit because you've worked at uh, Design Academy Einhove and somebody. They have a lot of international students. What's the benefit of having that mixture of nationalities on a course? Yeah.
3: So um, I would say I think What's quite interesting in the Design Academy is that in the Bachelors you have a vast majority of Dutch students. Um, I think it's about three quarters are Dutch and one quarter are international. Whereas in the Masters you have very, very few Dutch students. So I think part of that is a structural thing about design where um, a design degree is not really necessary from any logistical standpoint. It's not like medicine or law or um, those kind of Careers where you really have to be sort certi- certified in a certain country um, according to specific rules, and I think that definitely benefits um, the sort of kind of international uh, welcomeness of of those courses. but what I find very interesting in um, the Netherlands I think is that it's i don't think that there's something necessarily kind of Dutch about the school, especially Design Academy um, in particular. I think it's more that um, being in the Netherlands offers certain opportunities, and therefore going to school there points you into a certain way of constructing your career that I think is just not possible in other, um, from a Fantasma or Nacho Carbonell, um, who are almost you know, known as Dutch designers, even though they're Spanish or Italian. Um, and I think you can name people from almost any other country in that sense.
0: How do you preserve a, a culture like that, though? Because, for instance, some of the people who've come out of Eindhoven, they're extremely individualistic as practices, like Former Phantasma, for instance, doesn't necessarily fit into the traditional model of what a design studio is. Um, and I suppose one argument might be that the, the greater plurality of people you have coming into that course, the better for it, so it doesn't become. Set in its ways or institutionalised in some sure, ways. So, how do you kind of keep that side fresh in terms of who's studying on that course? Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's it's a difficult question. I mean, I do think that there's, I think that the fact that um, that school in particular has a um, international renown means that you always will attract people who want to kind of take some of the, um, especially more kind of practical skills and and fundamental education they've had in the foundation or bachelor course, and then go into an somewhat, I wouldn't say troublesome, but um, something to think about is that I often find when there are foreign students, especially from East Asia, they're often encouraged in their kind of exploration of their own identity, in the masters especially, to um, think about their kind of nationality. And I always find that very funny because I'm from America and I was never asked to go and delve into my Americanness, whereas like a Japanese student or a South Korean student is often encouraged to kind of take things from their their background. So I, do, I wonder if there's a kind of um, um, kind of predetermined um, approach in that sense to what an especially non-European student is expected to kind of um, come out with in, in that course sometimes. So if you go to the graduation shows, you'll often see this kind of pattern. Uh, so I think it's, it's kind of a complicated issue.
0: How do you manage that? Because that seems something which extends beyond education as well. It's something that Campana Brothers have spoken about, for instance, this pressure to somehow be Brazilian designers or to be representing Brazil in their design, whereas um, uh, you know, um, Julian MacDonald isn't under pressure to be a Welsh fashion designer, particularly that that doesn't seem that expectation to be there so this seems to be something which carries through after education as well and I wonder if there are any thoughts on how you can begin to get away from that particularly
2: I think it's quite interesting to see how how designers are influenced by where they studied the culture of the school uh, and uh, the, the country in which they're in and they become it becomes part of their identity often and that choice of of where they study becomes fundamental about, uh, to who they are and that's slightly about n- the nationality. I think British designers are often British designers because of the way they studied at least if not exactly where they studied but that's got a huge element of who they are uh, in terms of a nationality of designer even um, I think and uh, I'm sure it's the case everywhere. So almost the conversation about fees is secondary to that. I think people, when they're selecting a course, will first select where they feel they identify with, uh, particularly for an MA choice. Uh, Perhaps on a BA choice, it's more local or something like that. But for an MA choice, that will be their first thinking. And then, obviously, can they afford it is the second thing. If they can't, uh, is there other subsidies that they can get to be able to afford it or, or not? But... I think that's the kind of decision ranking if you like. I think maybe we should
0: speak a little bit more about um, some of the background to education for instance. So I think it would be fair to say there's been in numerous areas around Europe uh, a rise in nationalism at least. I think it's certainly uh, Brexit is a very obvious example I suppose for us from the UK but there are numerous others in a lot of different places what impact does that have on a design school and how do you try and combat that if you know you're representing an industry which prides itself on being multinational international transnational whatever but as a time when uh, general politics and culture I think it would be reasonable to say is hostile or someone could e- very easily feel it is hostile towards them or they are not particularly welcome or it is not an attractive proposition to study elsewhere.
3: In the Netherlands for sure the the issue has been raised because although the far kind of right in the Netherlands didn't win the election, the uh, leading party um, kind of had to sort of make uh, overtures to... A concept of Dutch nationalism, which I think is relatively amorphous and, and not very strong yet. Um, but something that the Prime Minister mentioned was like, you know, people should be normal. And actually, I have a student who is now doing his um, thesis about this concept of being normal. The specific example that the Prime Minister mentioned was the idea that there was a, a um, bus driver of Muslim background who wouldn't shake hands with women. And uh, this was being raised as an example of, well, you know, you you need to adjust to Dutch culture. So the student is actually looking into the handshake as a form of communication or cultural exchange and how that kind of interaction should be designed. And I think what's interesting is bringing up the issue of politics allows you to kind of look at many, many different territories as subjects of design, not only furniture necessarily, not only very, very Permanently material kind of things, but also just performance or social interaction can be uh, the subject of investigation. Alexis, how is um, how has ECHAL
0: reacted to this? Obviously, it's a broad school, you cover a huge number of areas, different creative fields. Is, is discussion around nationalism and mixing sort of cultures and how that's managed and how that's looked at is that something which feels very much alive and discussed amongst the student body and faculty or is it something which isn't particularly discussed I suppose it varies from country to country so it would be interesting to know in Switzerland in ECAO how that's thought of how that's
1: reacted to I mean, it's clear that in Switzerland we also have you know nationalism since a, a quite a good number of years and you can even see it on the streets with you know with different posters and stuff, uh, as also Switzerland has very often uh, votes for different matters, as you probably know. Uh, that means that the issues are raised quite often, not just every four or five years when the governments change, uh, as uh, you know in Holland or elsewhere. so it's every I would say six months you see some posters with uh, black uh, sheep and white sheep and uh, very graphic things like that. So yeah, it's part of I would say everyday life. Um, yeah, it's Swiss graphic
0: design. There may be reasons for why fees are set the level. Yeah, Sebastian. I mean, before you mentioned that it goes into directly funding the course and isn't particularly sent elsewhere. But uh, um, so there may be reasons as to why international fees are high. But it does seem uh, an undeniable consequence that it does prevent many people from being able to afford a place at that school to be able to travel to it. Do you not end up with a situation where, uh, okay, the school may be international, but it's possibly, certainly elitist in terms of who is actually able to attend? How do you, uh, what arguments are there around that and what's what's thinking around that in schools?
3: Like an art school tends to attract a more diverse group of people. So I, I, I do teach sometimes in Sandberg, and I notice the students tend to have more diverse economic backgrounds a bit or like at least temporary economic statuses. So a lot of them are squatting in Amsterdam or a lot of them are, um, I don't know, like have very creative approaches to things like travel or um, producing their work or, or different kind of events. Whereas I do think in in a place like um, like Eindhoven, there's a huge demand financially for you know production of the final uh, pieces, and ultimately, if you if you don't don't have access to that money, it's very very challenging.
2: Yeah, I think in the UK, the kind of notion of free education is ancient history now. You yeah. know, it's, people no longer have that as a reference. Like I was saying, I was the last free year at the Royal College, and that. a while ago so people no longer expect that so and I think generally there's much more of a culture today not maybe specifically for education but there's more of a culture today of like you get what you pay for in general everyday life so I think actually speaking to some students uh, I have the impression that the students actually feel like they're going to get a better course if it's a bit more expensive uh, which is And that's to do with uh, the world the way it is today, and it's to do with what they have as a a reference. I don't, I mean, obviously, you're uh, the antithesis to that. I'm talking about the UK, you know, um, it's to do, I'm talking obviously about about the UK, maybe the States, and the UK aligns itself more with the States, I think, in that sense, um, and more and more so.
0: What effect does that have, though, on, say, the work that's done on a course and also the way in which students conceive of that course? If you're thinking about it in terms of um, whether it's value for money, whether it's a sort of suitable amount, it it, it does instantly admit in the sort of uh, language of transaction, which is not necessarily what's everyone would want in an educational context. What impact do you think that has on the course and the learning that goes on in it and the way in which that course shapes
2: itself? I think you have to, as a, as a course, you have to deliver value for money and how that is judged these days by students could, could be numerous ways, but I think uh, they have higher expectations if they're paying more, for absolutely certain, yeah.
1: But I mean, for a Cal again, which you know is, Cheapest school here in terms of fees. Uh, No, I mean it's. We of course we don't. uh, The selection is clearly not oriented uh, according to what each student pays if they're you know from Europe, overseas, or whatever. Uh, And I think we are completely free on on making any decisions we want because it's we are we don't. We are not afraid of, for example, losing precious uh, monies because of, you know, eventually some groups of students not coming one year or another year. Uh, and I, th- I think it's it's a very privileged situation. I don't know until when it will last, to be honest, uh, because of course, yes, there is pressure on, you know, on the state basically to raise fees. And then uh, even, you know, just raising them by, I don't know, 500 uh, Swiss francs, which is, you know, let's say 500 euros, already creates turmoil in, you know, the newspapers, headlines and stuff. So uh, what would happen if they were about to be raised 10,000? Uh, because it's it's also, I think, part of the, the culture. And uh, as uh, my two colleagues here, maybe the, the Anglo-American culture is more uh, going towards high fees and, of course, eventually high expectations. I think the mainland Europe is maybe more linked to a model which is uh, more, let's say, socially um, easy going. The more commercialized environment that we live in, okay, has
2: pushed up the fees but also gives many, many more opportunities for collaborations with industry or other organizations to support students who really need that support financially. Um, you know, I'm, I know I'm working quite hard to create certain positions which are much less expensive in my course mm. for certain students and so on, and that some of that already exists, but there's a lot more work to be done. So uh, that's an upside of the commercialization of, of that is that um, uh, organisations yeah. are, are, are much more readily to invest in, in, in the young for the future, if you like.
0: You've been listening to a Desenio podcast.
1: For more podcasts, visit diseniodaily.com.